21. Church, we're going to read it together. Starting in verse 1. It says this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Church, let's, let's pray together. Father, we just thank you again for your word. God, we thank you for this time that you've given us to gather together in your name, to worship you, God, in all humility. God, as we just come broken before you, sinful man, sinful woman, God, just laying ourselves down before your throne today. God, I just pray that you would just speak to us through all that we have to say. God, and just bless our time together, Lord. We love you and thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, church, thank you so much for being here. Such an awesome morning and, you know, such a just a really cool uh, thing today. You know, one of the, the first Christian CDs that I ever owned was a burnt CD of a live performance of Broken Vessels at New Hope uh, back in the day that some little Baptist girl that I was smitten by gave me. And, uh, hey, I used to jam that CD out. At first, I think it was just because I wanted to impress her. But then after that, I, I really, really was drawn to it. Just a, an awesome, uh, awesome ministry. And, man, praise God for how long God's just been using them and blessing them in different ways and capacities. So I'm just so thankful for you guys and thankful for you guys coming to worship with us this morning. But church, we're going to continue in our study of the book of Philippians, where last week we kind of laid the foundation of what Paul was establishing, where 11 years before, um, before this moment, when Paul is writing to the church of Philippi, 11 years before this, he established the church with some people, right? Some different stories of, of, of experience, of brokenness, that God used these people, remember, Lydia, who was a seller of purple goods, and, and, but she was seeking after God, not really quite sure where to go, but she was meeting with some people, and then Paul comes in and presents the gospel message, and God just completely transforms her life, and she invites them in. And then from there, Paul and, and his team, they interact with this slave girl who had known nothing but slavery for her whole life, right? She had known nothing but exploitation and abuse, and then Paul speaking the name of Jesus, the power of God to transform. He changes her life. And what happens? It gets her owners mad at him. Uh, they drag him off to jail. And then we know the story as Paul and Silas are standing in prison. It says at midnight they begin to sing songs of praise. And these songs of praise started to shake the foundations of the prison that they were in. And, and as we began to talk about that, we see that, that, that the, the jailer who really thought, he's like, I've lost my job, my, uh, this, this, this job that I've been doing, my career, the, this is what's provided for my family, I'm failing at it, what his identity was probably tied up in. As he was beginning to take his own life, what did Paul do? He said, no, 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 don't do that, we're here. And then he began to present the gospel message to, Paul, to, to this uh, jailer and his family, and their family was saved and baptized. And man, we just see this beautiful moment of all these different stories and all these different people coming together. And what they're doing is they're establishing this church that Paul had a special relationship with in Philippi. Really such a beautiful, beautiful moment. The, the first trip Paul makes to Europe and he comes to this place and he establishes this church. And so, like we said last week, the church of uh, the book of Philippians is really kind of a love letter to friends as Paul is writing this. And, and Paul had a very unique way of writing. And, and we're going to really just kind of hone in and focus in on these first five verses this morning. 
But we begin to see something as we kind of look at the gospel and how it puts us together and kind of what we kind of embrace in the gospel community, the gospel foundation that God is laying for us and what God is inviting us to. And so, you know, as we kind of read through this, I want to see three things this morning that we see as we kind of lean into the gospel together, kind of laying the, the framework for how we step forward within what God has called us to in the community God has given us. And so the first thing is this this morning, that we would see within the gospel community how we're together within the gospel foundations, we would see our position. As Paul begins to write this out, in verse 1 he says here, he's writing for himself and Timothy, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. And this word servants can also be translated slaves of Christ. Now if we say that, that would make us very uncomfortable. And even in the ancient world, to be called a slave would have made them very uncomfortable. But church, what, what we're seeing here is Jesus taught Paul and the others, kind of this upside-down power of the Christian faith. Because what he was telling them, he says, listen, your faith in me, as we kind of take steps together, he says, this is not about control, but relinquishing control. That it's not about having it figured out, not being the Lord of your own life, but it's about inviting Christ into being the Lord over your life, and being the one who leads you, the one who guides you, Christ over everything. And so when Paul is writing this, I love how we see kind of Paul lay out, and he does this in, in every letter that he writes. He kind of lays out this framework for who we are in Jesus, and he says, listen, we are slaves to Christ. And that's not a bad thing. Listen, because even in the Bible, a lot of times when we would talk about slavery, not in the space at which was meant to be oppressive, but in the space at which more of a bond servant. And when he's speaking about this, this bond servanthood, it was this idea of because someone has done something for me, they provided something for me, given something to me, my family, I am providing a service back to them to pay off that debt. And in a sense, not even to pay off a debt, but to give back because they've given to me. And so when Paul is saying this is, listen, we are a slave to Christ and we know it's because of what Christ has done. That he's given us this direction, that he's established for us this idea of servanthood. Like we said, no one would celebrate being a slave in the ancient world or even today. But Christ taught his disciples to appreciate true great, the true greatness of servanthood. And so he's establishing it right off the bat. You know, that it's not all about what I can get or gain. But he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. That we've come to give. And Jesus came giving us that same example. That everything that he's given us, everything that he's provided for us, he's done it in a way for us. Kind of this upside down mentality of how culture sees things. Where in a lot of ways we want to make it about me, 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 me. Where Jesus says, no, it's about what we can give. It's about how we lean into the space of the broken. It's about how we lean into the lives of each other. It's about how we provide a path for our children. How we lean into the space of our spouses when they're navigating spaces of doubt or need or struggle. So it's all about this idea of leaning into a servanthood. And Jesus himself came and gave us this example. In Mark 10, 45, he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so the God of the universe, putting on flesh, coming down, did what? Didn't come to reign in authority and power over the political or cultural landscape. He came to submit himself for our good and to offer himself as a servant for those in need. 
Jesus was the best at that, right? Leaning into the space of the broken, leaning into the space of, the, uh, of those who are in desperate need. I mean, we see that even in Acts chapter 16 when we talked last week about how Paul's leaning into these spaces, utilizing the gospel in the most broken spaces, the spaces where most people would have kind of kept at arm's reach or kind of stiff-armed from there, right? And Timothy leads out in applying this title to himself and Timothy. Because the reality is people won't go where we won't lead. Right? We, want to, we want to be servants for Christ, church, for our families, for our spouses, in the spaces where we live with our friends, our family, and our workplace. We, as a Christian faith, have a responsibility to lead out in that space. And listen, it seems upside down and it seems different than what would be expected because we are constantly reaching for power, constantly reaching for control. But Jesus invites us into a life where we relinquish control to him. God, lead me. God, show me. God, reveal to me. Because we're not doing this for the approval of man, but for the approval of God. Galatians 1.10, for, no, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. It says our life is lived kind of to flip things on their head, right? That's the beautiful thing about the gospel, that it's so countercultural, that it's so radical compared to how the rest of the world and the systems function and work. Which leads us into this next part where he says, and, he, and he's communicating here, he says in verse 1, to all the saints in Christ who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. You know, so there's something unique there because he says, he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. You know, the reality of this is, is this was not just written to leadership, but to a collective. A collective communication to people. People like you and me. You know, a lot of times, especially within certain uh, denominational uh, views of what a saint is, a lot of times when we hear that and we say that and we see that, we think to ourselves, well, the saint is someone who, who has it all together. A saint is someone who is religiously just on top of their game, right? Like they have it figured out. And we would a lot of times say to ourselves, well, I'm not a saint. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm no saint. Like people say that all the time, right? Like I'm no saint. But the truth of the matter is, church, if you have put your faith in Christ Jesus... When Paul is writing to all the saints, he's writing to the people of God. You're a saint this morning. Not because you've earned that. Not because you've done well enough to gain that title. But because Christ has, Christ has given you that identity. Not because of your goodness, but because of His. Right? The imputed righteousness. Jesus gave you His goodness. And so he gives us, I love Paul, Paul starts off this letter and he starts off many others speaking in the same way because he wants to remind us. Before Paul does anything, any instruction, any correction, any criticism, he always reestablishes the people's identities. Servants of Christ and saints. Listen, he has given us this title as, as a title of, of encouragement. You were made right before a holy God, not because of what you've done, but because of who Jesus is, because of who your Lord is, because who you're a servant of. The emphasis on all is important because it also communicates a sense of unity, which the book of Philippians will constantly carry out and we'll dive into more detail on as we move. But the word saint, church, simply means consecrated to God or set apart people. And you were that. Listen. 
There's no, there, there, there's no checklist of things that have to be established to make you a saint. And listen, I know for a lot of us, we, we, want, we would not want that title. We would not, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be known as that. I don't want to misrepresent what that is. But we have to be reminded of, of what that is. A saint is just a broken sinner who is saved by Jesus. And he saved you. And he's provided a way for you. And he, and he invites us in. Before Paul even begins any instruction on how to live as, in the, as the Christian faithful, he says, this is who you are. He wants us to know. He wants us to be reminded because that's the platform, that's the confidence at which we step out in. That's the confidence that we instruct our children from. That's the confidence that we lean into our marriages and relationships with, not based on our own ability, not because of our, our, our talents to be saints or to be perfect Christian people, but because Christ has named us that. That as his family, that as his chosen, that as his priesthood, he has invited us in to be those set-apart people and to lean into that identity and to work from that, not to work for that. And then he says this, continuing on in verse 1, he says, In Christ Jesus. This is one of Paul's favorite ways to describe believers' union with Christ. He's, uh, this occurs ten times in the book of Philippians. Because he wants us to understand, if you are in Christ, you are sealed. If you are in Christ, you are one with Him. If you are in Christ, then it is not your goodness that God sees. It is the righteousness, the goodness of Jesus that is representative of you. That is the cloak you wear now, not your own. You stripped that off. You pulled it aside. You left it behind. And not only that, but it speaks to the citizenship of the believers, the security, the provision you know, for these people, even though they were, they were uh, Philippians, they, that they were Roman citizens, Paul is reminding them that Christ reigns over all. I don't care what political place you stand. I don't care what social place you stand. I don't care your color. I don't care your nationality. I don't care where you're from, what you ascribe to. He says that as a believer in Jesus, Christ reigns over all. His kingdom reigns over all. And so not only is it important to see our position within the gospel community that we are together in, but the second thing is this, that we would see our prize. That we would see our prize. In verse 2, Paul says this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul loves this, this intro. And like I said, what's amazing and what's beautiful about it is before Paul gives any instructions on do's and don'ts, what is he establishing? He's establishing our identity and he's establishing the gifting that we've been given, the gospel gifts that we've been given. And what are those gospel gifts? Grace and peace. Grace and peace. The theological weight that Paul drops in the front part of this letter and many other letters that he writes is meant to focus our hearts and minds on the beauty of our relationship with Jesus and what his lordship means in our lives. Church, these things, grace and peace, they come from God. And the thing about it, grace is defined as this, the favor of God towards the unworthy, free and sovereign, that rests on the Christian's life. The sovereign grace, the free grace of God given to the unworthy without any consideration of what we've done to earn it. Because if we earned it, it would not be a grace gift. If we could obtain it in our own abilities, it would not be a grace gift because the Bible also tells us that it is a gift so that we cannot boast about what we are able to obtain on our own, by our own good works, our own good deeds. 
And it's not just unwarranted favor, but grace. It is also grace to those who deserve wrath. Isn't that amazing to consider the fact that as broken, sinful men and women, that we deserve the wrath of God, but because of Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on the cross, He has removed that from us. He has say that. Why? Because He took that wrath upon Himself. God put on flesh to come and to take on that wrath Himself for our salvation. Because the reality is, church, we've done everything to deserve the exact opposite of God's grace. But He still continues to offer. Church, God is willing to forgive and He's willing to bless all within Himself. Which is why we see that in Christ mentioned there. Because church, grace is a gift. Ephesians 4, 7, it says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Church, grace isn't a loan, a loan that expects repayment. Grace is a gift given without, without the expectation of equal return. Because the reality is, I don't know about you, but I know me. And from day to day, my return to God's grace is not, the equal, is not equal to the gift that He has given me. As much as I strive for it and as much as there are times in my life that I want it, God, I want to do good, I want to do right. Paul even said this. He said, God, he says, listen, I know what I should do and I still don't do it. And I know what I shouldn't do, but I still find myself doing those things. Listen, we cannot pay back the loan at which God has given us. But he doesn't expect us to. 2 Timothy 2.1, it says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened by it. He wants us to find encouragement in it. Romans 12, 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us then use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Church, and, and, and the reality of it is, is, is that, is that grace leads us into servanthood. And so not only is grace a gospel gift, but also peace is a gospel gift. And so what is the peace that he speaks of here? Peace is the reconciliation with God. And also what not only the reconciliation of man to God, but it is also this, that grace is the childlike confidence and the trustful hope which results from faith in Christ's atonement and Christ, Christ's work on our behalf. That so not only is peace the idea that God has given us, the conduit we need to find our way back to God, to no longer be at war with God, to be an enemy of God no longer, that we are now at peace, but it's also this peace to know that the God of the universe is on your side. That the God of the universe is leaning into the very broken space that you brought into here this morning, the very broken space that you'll walk out of here into later today that the God of the universe is leaning into that broken space, that the Bible tells us that he will not leave you, he will not forsake you, that even when things get difficult, even when things get hard, even when things seem to be out of, of control, spiraling out of control, that he says the God of the universe is always in control and he's on your side. You know, Paul is writing this letter in Philippians from prison. He's writing this from a situation where he's, he's really on the cusp of potentially... Losing his life. But he writes with this confidence about who God is. Listen, how many of us are, are navigating a prison, it feels like, right now? Unsure if, if there's any hope beyond it. Unsure if the door will ever swing open at any point. God says, listen, not only will I shake the foundations of it, but in the midst of your, your, your deepest, most uh, difficult situations, he says, I will give you hope beyond that. I will help you navigate that space and leave 
that space. The two word, these two words, church, are the expressions of the effect of Christ's saving work. And within all of Paul's writings, these words appear over and over and over again because before he utters a single word about what you should or shouldn't do, he wants us to know who you are and what you have. That you are God's chosen people and that you've been given gospel gifts that nothing in this world, no person in this world can offer us that can meet, meet in value. Then the last thing is this, church. Not only our position and our prize, but the last thing is understanding this within our gospel community is our partnership, our partnership. Starting in verse 3, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Like we said, this church had a special place in his heart. He loved this church because he was there at the foundation of it. He was there in all the the craziness and 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 all that was happening in these moments. But the thing about Paul, and I love, I love Paul's heart for this, and, and even for, for our leadership and for us as a church, trying to emulate like this, this mindset and this perspective of, that Paul had for the church. Because listen, the reality is there are a lot of reasons to not like the church at times. There are a lot of reasons why we can be very frustrated with the church, how the church handles things, how the church navigates things, how the church seemingly treats people at times. But the thing about the church is that the church is the most beautiful entity that exists in this world because God established it for a purpose and for a reason. And the thing that I always loved about Paul and his heart for the church is that Paul had a patience and a love for the church that was unmatched. The church was not perfect even in Paul's day just like it's not perfect in ours, but the church is still beautiful. The church is still a necessity. And when I'm talking about the church, I'm not talking about these buildings. I'm talking about the people of God. Because we don't get hurt by buildings, right? We get hurt by people. So when we're talking about the church, we're talking about the people. The people are, are the most beautiful asset this world has because we are the extension and the expression of Christ in this broken world. And so Paul would constantly write and thank God for the people of the churches that he was involved with. Romans 1, 8 and, uh, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, it says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. 1 Corinthians 1, 4, a church riddled with division and false teaching. He still says this. He says, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, 3, and 4, he says, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, and 3 says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Listen, Paul was so thankful for the church, even in all its flaws. Listen, and and the reality is, you know, we've been a church in existence for about six years now. You're here because... You've never been to church. Maybe you were a part of church and you just kind of uh, backed away. Kind of, There was some distance that grew and you kind of just got out of the habit. Or you're here because you've been hurt by a church. You felt like you couldn't go there anymore. Some kind of hurt. Some kind of, you know, I always say we, most of the people uh, that, are navi- that are not a part of a faith family are not a part of it because of disappointment or distance. Right? That's the reality of it. I, I've, I've been hurt by church. Many of you probably have. But I love the church. 
I even love the church that hurt me. I pray for that church. You know, this past week, I, I had the great opportunity to sit down with, uh, with a, a pastor of Bible Baptist, the church where I came from, you know, and just have a really great conversation and just share our love and concern for each other and the good of what we want to accomplish as Bible-believing church within, churches within this community. Listen, this is, the, this is the mindset that we have to be able to navigate. Listen, we can find so many things wrong with the church. You can find so many things wrong with the churches you came from, the churches you used to go to, the churches that hurt you. Listen, you can find, I promise you, you spend enough time, you'll find something wrong with our church. Guaranteed. The church is imperfect, and it will never be perfect. It's run by broken people, for broken people. But the church is the greatest gift this world has. And all its brokenness, if we can just acknowledge and accept the fact that we're broken and then step into the space of other people's broken lives and just share the true nature, the true love of who Christ is, man, God will do something amazing. But we have to be able to navigate the space of what we want to accomplish in our community, what we want to accomplish for our children, what we want to accomplish for the gospel without navigating a competitive nature about what we do and how we do the work that needs to be done for our community, right? Because that's what makes us different than the world. The, the unity that we have as the Bible-believing churches within the context of a region is, is done not because we all necessarily agree. Unity is not uniformity. We don't have to look like the church down the road, but we can still pray for their good. We can still pray for their work to be accomplished, as I hope that they pray for ours. We can lean into spaces together and worship the Savior that we stand for, that we love, that we want our children to know about, that we want the lost and dying world around us to know about. Church, we can always find something to be dissatisfied about within the local church, but Paul still saw the beauty and the value in it, even in all its imperfections, and I pray that we can find that together. I pray that we can see that, and I pray that we can navigate it. And then in verse 4, Paul says this. He says, In every prayer of mine, making my prayer with joy. Listen, Paul writes this from prison, writing about joy, right? Sitting in it. And I, I just imagine that um, prisons within this time were not fun places to be. Right? I'm sure they didn't have outside time. I'm sure they didn't have TVs and great meals. Nobody coming around to check on you to make sure you ate the food you were supposed to eat. Make sure you get the medicine you need to have. Make sure that your cuts or bruises are taken care of. I can't imagine that they had great toileting systems. Like I can't imagine a prison experience in, 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 in ancient Philippi was a great place to be. But Paul writes to another people, concerned about those other people, and not only that, but he writes from a place of joy. And sometimes we allow our, our negative circumstances to keep us from having a kingdom mindset, right? We feel like we need to isolate, like we've got our own things to worry about, our own problems. That I, I don't have time to be a servant of Christ. Like, I don't have time to really be, be, be within that space. I don't have time. Like, I, I'm, I, I've got my own mess. Listen, the, the biggest thing, and I say this all the time, the biggest thing this enemy wants you to do in your, your situations is isolate you. Because the enemy knows that if he can isolate you, then he can control your mind. 
He can control the way you think. He can control the way you navigate situations. He can control the way you deal with people. He can control the way you react. He can control all those things if he isolates you. But the moment the enemy loses control and you get into a space of Bible-believing people who love you and want to encourage you and speak the gospel into your life is the moment that the enemy starts to lose his power over you and that you begin to see that there really is hope in the situations. And so Paul, sitting in a dirty, dusty, dusky, dusty prison is finding joy, not only finding joy for himself, but trying to give joy to another group of people. And such a beautiful example of what a gospel foundational community can look like when we have that care and concern for each other. Listen, it was in, it was in Philippi that he and Silas sang from a prison at midnight. And now in a prison again, he sings from Rome, right? He sings from Rome. For these people, to these people. And then continuing on in verse 5, he says this, because of your partnership in the gospel. Because like I said, at the end of the day, they are standing in the same circle. Even though at this moment they're not sharing an address. Even at this moment they're not sharing the same space. They intend to see the same purpose fulfilled. The lost coming to know Christ as Savior. Church, the beautiful thing about the gospel community that God has given us is our, our place, our partnership within it. And what is that thing that just brings us together? That commonality that we have, church, it's the gospel. Paul understood the fellowship of a gospel community because the word partnership here, it carries with it a very strong indication of a participation and commitment not only to the cause, but to each other and each other's well-being, and each other's success. That there's this consideration of each other. That there's, there's this partnership that actually has a concern for the other side of it. Church, God has invited us into this partnership that is gospel-focused, that is gospel-intended. Uh, and the beautiful thing about it is that this message, this gospel, it's not a message that we have to drum up on our own. It's not dependent on our own abilities, our own talents, our own uh, uh, means of communicating it. Listen, our lives literally can be a visual communication of who Christ is and what Christ has done because he does it with our lives. He takes messed up, broken, sinful people and he changes them. He begins to redirect us. He, he begins to take our addictions and pull those away. He begins to take uh, who we used to be and strip those things away. He begins to unlock the shackles and the chains and open the prison doors of what used to keep us entrapped. They used to rob us of freedom. They used to keep us from living in the abundant life that Christ has called us to. All of those things that have robbed us of being the parents, of being the spouses, of being the workers and co-workers, to be in the church members that He's called us and invited us to be. All of these these things that have robbed us of living the life God has called us to live, Christ gives us that freedom within the gospel. And he has not only given us that gospel for ourselves, but he's given us that for the people around us. Moms and dads, he's given us that to share with our children. He's given us that to lean into the lives of our friendships and share these things there. And so listen, as, as we, we wrap up and, and, and the band can go ahead and come up and you guys can, can get settled in and we'll, we'll worship together as we end here. But I, I just want to wrap up with, with just a couple of things. Churches, that, that gospel unity, that gospel fellowship, that gospel community really begins with understanding these three things we've talked about. Number one, our position. 
knowing that we are drawn together by the Holy Spirit into the family of God, and that is our identity. The second thing is this, our prize, that, that, uh, the, that the playing field has been leveled out, that none of us have done anything to earn the grace or peace that God gives us, but God gives it willingly and freely when we put our faith in Jesus and His work on the cross on our behalf. And that we have all had grace poured upon us, not by our earning it, but by the love of Jesus. And then the last thing is this, the last thing for us to understand about gospel unity within what God has called us to is our partnership. Church, is that you're not alone. That it is not a competition, but it's a companionship. That we're not competing with the church, the Bible-believing church down the road. We're leaning into ministry with them. That we want to see them succeed. We want to see them do well. We want, to, we want to find opportunities to lean into that space and to serve our community. Because that's what God's invited us to. He's invited us into a partnership not only with each other, but those who don't even share the same address with us. Praying for their good. Praying for their success. A joint effort for the kingdom. Church, so I pray, I, I, I want to pray for you this morning and ask you that as you consider how to respond, as you sing, as you maybe pray where you're at, maybe you find a place, you, you step to the back and you pray, maybe you find me, find Garen, and we would love to pray through some things with you. Maybe, maybe this idea of the gospel and grace, these, these ideas, maybe they just seem foreign, maybe they don't make any sense, you need us to explain that a little bit more to you. Maybe what it means to give your life to Christ and surrender uh, in faith to Him and His work on your behalf what does that mean what does that look like we would love to talk through that with you help you understand that that's the, the most beautiful thing about the gospel is in the way that paul writes his letters is that jesus doesn't ask us to put the puzzle together before we come he says listen come with your broken pieces and i'll i'll put it together for you and then i'll give you the direction to go Listen, that's the beauty of our Savior and what He does for us. And I want to invite you to respond and to seek after Him in however you need to this morning. So if you wouldn't mind, stand with us this morning. I'm going to pray for you. We'll pray together and then we'll worship together as we seek after what God has for us this morning. Father God, we just love you so much. God, we thank you so much for the, the gospel that you've given us, for the truth and the beauty of all that you've given us, Lord. I just pray, God, I pray so much that you would just, Lord, give us the courage, give us the commitment that we need to step into and stand in the space that you've offered us, that you've invited us to, Lord, that, that you, have, you have set a place at the table of God's grace and, and mercy, God, and you have invited us to take a seat at that table and enjoy the feast of your blessings. So, God, I pray that if there is anyone here this morning not in enjoying the beauty of who you are, God, that you would give courage and confidence to step into that space, to seek the answers maybe where there's questions or doubts. God, to, to put their faith in something else other than themselves. Lord, putting their faith in your son Jesus. Lord, if they haven't done that before. God, I just pray your blessings over all that we do. I pray your blessings over this time that we sing, this time that we respond in just seeking you and your beauty and your glory. God, we love you. God, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' holy name.